Hello. Hello. Welcome to Flycast Live. Welcome to Flycast Live. I'm Cassandra. I'm Steph. And you're watching Disney Channel. Franklin. What's up with Franklin? Franklin is... Franklin is a fella that Stephanie and I have both known for quite some time. He's been a client at the lodge that we both worked at. We've gotten to know him very well over the past years, and he is an amazing fly fisherman as well as a lawyer. He not only fights for the less privileged, less able through his law career, we're going to talk to Franklin about his journey, both learning how to fly fish with his father and then kind of branching out on his own and developing his own fly fishing experience. Um, he's been coming to Montana for over 20 years, despite his pretty young age for a uh, client at the lodge. He so- also has a voice that you will want to narrate your life. He sure does. He's, he has got a wonderful southern drawl. And he's very fun to listen to. He's from, is it Kentucky? Lexington, Kentucky. He's into horse racing. Actually, your sister's, I feel like, really into horse racing. Because that's, like, her job, right? And casinos. (laughs) It's more like, not really. My dad is the best handicapper of the family. Um, Oh, the judge? The judge. We were actually in the airport on the way to Montana this summer uh, a couple weeks ago. And he checked his phone and he bet a pick four, which is four races in a row. He picked the winner. And he won $1,000 on a $40 bet. And he was like, oh, look at that. Very, you know, very modestly. <laughs> what? Like, he, he is a very good, he's a good handicapper. Do I need to be, uh, you know, sending him a check and having him uh, make some investments? I wouldn't go that far, but he's pretty, he pretty damn good at it. Some four-legged investments? <laughs> All right, so Franklin, you've been fly fishing since you were born, pretty much, yeah? Actually, I picked it up when I was like 20 years old, when I was kind of leaving college. In my mind, you are currently like 27, you know? <laughs> oh, Are you willing I, to reveal your age I am, I am on air? Years old. 39. A young buck. <laughs> I have been guided by Cassandra's uh, grandfather. Um, I've been guided by Craig Fenlon when he was still guiding. So I'm, I've been around a little while. I miss some of the older guys. Like that guy, Alan, I never knew. But Well, you got it by my dad? Oh, yeah, many times. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Where did you start fishing? Like, did you start in Lexington? Does that No, I, I went to college in uh, Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. And there were some oh. streams around there. So I started fishing some random, what they call delayed harvest there, which are sort of like stock streams you can take fish out of, mm. you know, as the summer comes. Started fishing those. I mean, they put like brook trout and brown trout in there. I mean, they know Montana. Is that Western North Carolina? Like kind of in the mountains? It's Western North Carolina in the mountains. Uh, I haven't spent much time there, but that is like probably one of the most beautiful, like that whole area. I just love it. That mountainous Southern, Southeastern U.S. It's hard to fish. I mean, there's tons of rhododendrons all around the stream. So I, I developed sort of a, a terrible like sidearm casting style that I had to get out of. And when, when did you start coming out to Montana? I came out to Montana the first time when I was 22 years old. When you came with your dad? I came with my dad. I went to the lodge for the first time. And, um, you know, the first time I went out there, you know, one of the things that happens when you come from out east, you think you go to Montana, you catch a fish on, you know, every cast is a fish, fish, fish. And I'll, I'll be honest, my first year I came out, I was like, you know, I thought this was going to be easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still trout fishing, yeah, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. I mean, if you don't get a good drift, if you – 
they're not going to eat it. And so, I mean, I, I think it took a while for me to realize that, that it, it's still, the, it's the same game as it is back east, but the fish are just, they're harder to catch and they're bigger and they're nicer. What about Montana? So it being a challenge, was that kind of a pro or a con in terms of hooking you into the area? A total pro. I mean, you guys know this. I mean, it's so much fun to catch, you know, those fish that are hard to catch. You know, I mean, everybody's trying to do that. When you finally get that good drift on that huge big brown trout and, you know, it comes up and just sticks that nose up, it's so perfect. Like, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get those, you know, in Montana, you come out, you get those opportunities. You know, if you fish hard, you might get a couple of them, but you're going to get them if you fish hard. There's nothing like that. Franklin, I will say you, out of every client I've encountered, use your time at the lodge and use your guides to the fullest. Can you explain how you do that? And what do you what do you do in order to get what you want and what you pay for out of your experience? Well, and one thing that kills me is people who argue with their guides. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) what, what are you doing? I mean, these people have spent their lives taking people down this river. They know where the fish are. They know what they eat. Why in God's name would I argue with them? And I mean, these guys are all better fishermen than I am. You know, if they teach you how to reach cast, they teach you how to mend or teach you this or that. I mean, you know, incorporate that into your game and like just, you know, get better at it. And one thing I think a lot of people don't do is it gets frustrating if you can't do it right. And so the better you get at it, the more you enjoy it. And so it's like, you know, take this opportunity to learn from these people who know what the hell they're talking about. You know, I've heard these stories where people want to argue with the guys about the fly selection. And you're just like, I'm from Kentucky. I mean, this guy lives in Wise River, Montana. <laughs> what, what do I know? Like, but, so I just think it's important to listen to those guys. I mean, take their advice. They're not telling you stuff. I mean, they're not making it up. I mean, just listen to them. And you will catch more fish if you listen to your guy at the end of the day. I think something else that you're famous for is just being ready and willing whenever a guy is willing to take you fishing, you kind of will hop on that opportunity. Yeah, you're very, great. you're very motivated to like do anything, whether that's get up early, stay out late, like you're willing to try it all, which is like very necessary because, you know, half the time clients at lodges are sort of stuck fishing late mornings to late afternoons and, you know, a very good portion of fishing, like successful fishing happens early in the morning or late at night. And you're really willing to like stay out. Well, let me ask you guys a question. I mean, I feel a little bit guilty when the guy has to get up early and take, cause I want to go out first, first light. I mean, I enjoy that. I want to stay out late, but I feel sort of like I'm making the guy do, you know, well, he don't get up early. He don't want to stay out late. So, I mean, do the guides mind? I, I don't know. I think I think it depends on the guide. I mean, if you simply take my father for an example, he is very, 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 very into starting early. In fact, it's like he's been doing. I don't know. I've I've paid attention to him going out early for the past few years now. Like he will leave at like four in the morning, and get off the river at like nine nine thirty, and be like. I don't even want to say like how successful he is because I don't want to give out the secret, but like, it just depends on the guide. I think, I mean, I say if you're willing to do it and if the guide's ready to do it and knows what they're doing, go for it because it can be extremely beneficial. But I always have that nugget in the back of my mind that like, is this guy doing this because I want to, or because he, you know, is down. I don't want to make him do something he doesn't want to do kind of. And like, I will say my experience as a guide I kind of got to be almost like a bloodhound to the point where 
it was obnoxious to people in my personal life. Um, my demand for them to catch fish in particular, my, uh, lovely, delightful boyfriend. Um, so I would take him fishing and I would be like, there, 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 you know, like I would be constantly set, 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 set the hook. You missed it. You missed it again, again, again. Yeah. Met, 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 met. He's like, I'm trying to drink a beer and go down the river. Uh, I don't really need you yelling at me constantly. You know what I mean? So it's very satisfying when you're getting paid to do something that you're good at and you're succeeding at that. You know what I mean? You're succeeding in helping people get fish. That's very rewarding. It really helps when you have a client who's not an asshole. You know, if you're fun, if you're enthusiastic, if you want to catch fish, if you're willing to listen to your guide, that can make a full day feel like half a second. And I've had days where they were not sun up to sundown. They were pretty normal, even short days that felt like they were 10 years long. Uh, and that's because uh, of who I was with. And I've had days that felt like 30 seconds uh, and they were, you know, 10 or 12 hours long. So it really depends on your attitude. And if you're, if you want to catch fish, it's really rewarding to the guide to help you catch fish. Cause that's what the guide wants to do. And oftentimes if you're going to go out like early in the morning, you get off the river at like nine or 10 AM. So y'all can go home and take a nap and they're like happy to, that's fine. Like it's really, it can't, it's not always that bad. Like it can pay off big time and you should really do it. Oh, I, I love going out early. And those times where you had that relationship with you, were like, you're fishing well, they're getting you in the right position and like nobody's talking and you're just fishing, just, you know, getting that stream in the right place. I mean, it's so perfect. Like 30 minutes can go by and you're just, they're doing their thing. You're doing yours. Everybody's working together to try to get done. I mean, it's just weird how you can kind of get that like teamwork going, but like you don't really talk that much about what's going on. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's weird. The guy always knows too where you're going to throw it. They're like, Oh yeah. That hole. Yep. Mm -hmm." (laughs) Um, I do, I distinctly remember a day that you and I and another client went down to the beaver head and I just gave you a several flies and I was like, work these, work these stretches, come in for lunch, uh, you know, have fun, have a good day. And I was working with the other client who was uh, a little bit more of a beginner than you, definitely less spry when we finally i mean obviously in classic franklin style we did not see you for lunch i think i like came and threw a sandwich at you threw me a sandwich in the river. <laughs> <laughs> at like 3 p.m that's great and, and my experience with the other client had been very different from your experience that day in that in in success levels and i think that speaks to your ability to kind of be like okay i know how to read water this is a good fly i'm just gonna make this happen for myself and work this water and we were unfortunately not having the same luck upstream but it was just it was very interesting to see the difference between you and this other client working working the water to completely different ways well i I say, would say that, that was the best day of fishing i've ever had in my life <laughs> that day, i fished one uh a single purple haze all day on like a nine foot five x liter mean mm. that will always go down as like the best day of fishing i've ever had like i mean it was just incredible you know how it is like when you're on a river like you can be two runs up and there's a hatch two runs mm-hmm. down and it's not happening you know it's just so hard to know and like you just kind of got to be out there and doing it and you know just put the time in and hope it goes right 
and moving. I cannot stress this enough. If you're not catching fish in one area, move, move, please. You know, people it's get, not going to happen. Who, oh. who doesn't want to move? People oh, that don't get it, you know, like <laughs> you try it, you get discouraged and you don't, you know, if you don't know already, if you can't process that part of fishing, you're just immediately discouraged because you, you don't realize that that's part of it. So you're like, this is awful. <laughs> like, yeah. If I throw a dry flies, I will throw a dry flies through a run 10, 15, a, a lot. If I throw a streamer through a run, I'll throw it twice. And what do you guys think about it? I mean, I mean how many how many are you gonna get through a run like on a streamer? I mean, so they're gonna have <laughs> a streamer, I would say, yeah, you know, two or three times tops. Yeah. But also save with a dry fly, five casts. Yeah. Five? Mm-hmm. Mm, but make them count. I <laughs> get that drift. <laughs> You can't waste your time, for sure. I mean... You know, one thing about fly fishing, it really teaches you about time usage. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm using my time here, am I using it there? Like, what, what are my options? And I mean, I think we all struggle with that. Should I change flies? Should I keep using this? And you just, and you think about that a lot, for whatever I do, at least. I just, um, I've been fishing a lot of stripers recently in the Boston area. The boyfriend has a, his family has a place on Cape Cod. So we've been fishing quite a bit for stripers. And you basically never change flies. It's all about position, placement. Is there even a fish there? And I think something that I learned in guide school is you're not going to catch a fish if your fly's not in the water. So if you're fiddling with it, if you're fiddling with putting a different fly on, if you're fiddling with, you know, what tip it is right, what, how long should my leader be? You're not going to have your fly in front of a fish. So the more time you can have your fly in front of a fish, the more likely you are to catch a fish. That's science. That's not even, uh, we don't need to talk about like the art of fly fishing there. That's just how it works. Well, and something, um, something I learned in New Zealand, you know, the water is crystal clear. There's one fish right there. And if you don't, you know, land your fly in the perfect spot, you, you basically have one chance. You're, you're lucky if you have more than one chance. And I like, you know, I really picked up on how much false casting I do. So I'm like, oh, that's not going to be good enough. That's not going to be good enough. That's not going to be good enough. Every single guide that I fish with is like, just put it down. Just lay it down. And I'm like, no. And they're like, at this point, your fly is like flailing about above the fish. And that fish is like, bye. Just put it down. So. Yeah, I definitely have a hard time transitioning from striper fishing back to dry fly fishing because it's really about distance and just you can you could put 50 casts and you could hit a fish on the head when you're ocean fishing for stripers and they'll just be like eh, or they'll be in a school and no one will care. Mm. Uh you know, you'll catch a fish eventually, but you are trying to get your your 60 to 80 foot cast which i mean hey how, how do you maintain confidence through all this like if i'm one thing about changing flies to me is like i lose confidence in a fly and i start fishing like shit in a weird way i'm like oh, it's not gonna work you know so when i change i'm like yeah i'm back in the game like if i, if I threw a, some rig a hundred times with nothing i'd eventually changing the fly would just kind of rejuvenate me and i'd be like all right like you know something new like do you not and, lose confidence after a while honestly This is going to sound weird, but something that Blaine helped me, another Montana guide helped me understand was choosing a sexy fly is important. 
So you don't want to be picking the first fly you see out of your fly box. What you want to do is you want to analyze the fly and make sure the parachute, the hackle looks good. Make sure the body isn't weirdly clumpy. Make sure everything's looking right and sexy. And that gives me more confidence in the fly. I don't, I don't really know if the fish care about it, but I like a sexy looking fly and the way it sits on the water is right. It's not like kind of jaunty and like, you know, floating down the river all weird. If it's floating down the river, nice. It looks good. That's giving me confidence and that's helping me do a better job. And you have to take that, you have to take that for the first fly you tie on and apply that to the last fly you tie on as well. Because what happens is you, you know, you pick out that sexy fly and you make sure the parachute's all perfect and then it doesn't work. And then you pick another fly and another fly and another fly and another fly and another fly. And pretty soon you're just like, in my opinion, I feel like you can change flies too often. You can lose confidence too quickly. And it's like, ah, you can't do that. I agree. But when I lose confidence in a fly, I fish it differently. That too. Yeah. My mind wanders in a weird way. And I'm just like, this isn't going to fucking work. I don't know. Very true. Very true. I'm a new sexy fly. I'm like, yeah. Like, you know, I'm back in the game. And then when it doesn't work, I'm like, I thought this was good. So I started doubting myself and my judgment. And then like, I, I think fishing flies with confidence is really important. And th- is it important? Like who gives, you know, the drift is the drift. Like whether I'm confident or not, like what difference does it make? Like, I mean, when it comes down to it, fly fishing is really just a Zen practice. It's a meditation. So whatever's going to help you kind of rise above your thoughts, your thought cloud, and get to a space where you're connecting with the water and you're connecting with the fish. I know that sounds pretty woo woo, but like above whatever's happening up here, that's stopping you from getting to your fishing Nirvana of the day. Basically, if you're angry, you're not doing it right. Like that's just, if you're letting things get to you, if you're angry, you're going to start messing everything up. I've watched that a lot in myself as well, but I mean, I've noticed that a lot. That people You do have anger issues, I've noticed. Yes, I do. <laughs> I got a temper. Especially at 8 a.m. <laughs> yeah. No, no early fishing for cats. We're not getting there around 4.30. did that once, finally, this year. My dad's been asking me for like three years, and I'm like, mm, no. And then I finally did it this year. And now I see why it is a good thing. I, I will say that. I mean, when my, when my dry fly is drifting into the lane, and that fish is sticking his nose up. You're thinking of nothing else in the world. And it's in this weird way, like it, when that fit, it's so slow. Like it gets right to that area where you think the fish is and just time just stops. Kind of you see that face come up and you're just like, oh, it's so perfect. It sounds like you're, cra- you're a crazy person. It does. You're like, I just, I just fling this stick <laughs> at uh, aquatic animals and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a form of meditation for me. And people are like, okay, this girl. But you see that, you know, you get that perfect, you know, downstream drift on that fish and you know it's going right where he is. You're just like, this is going to happen. And when it happens, it's so good. Oh, man. <laughs> and then when you hook them and they break it off, it is so bad. <laughs> so bad. I can recommend when fishing, if you're doing a fishing one-on-one, bring yourself like a little treat or a little like relaxer if you just need to take a break. And whether that be, you know, for some people it might be a cigar, for some people it might be like a flask, for some people it might be gummy bears, you know what I mean? 
give yourself a little something so you can take a break on the river and just breathe for a second after that moment, you know, where you break off a fish and you think your life is over. It's fine. You know what I mean? It's going to be fine. I'm just going to eat these gummy bears. I'm going to move on because it can be. Steph, it depends on the fish. Yes. Mm. Oh yeah. I've seen fish that have ruined my whole life. Like I could still see them. One thing to say about poker players, poker players remember the tough beats they've had. They do not remember the ones they've had. I remember the fish I lost so much more than the fish I caught. There are some I think about all the time in this weird way. All right. Tell us about one. Tell Tell us us about it. Yeah. I want to hear it. Tell us. (laughs) Tell us. Um, (laughs) Best fish I ever lost on the South Holston River in Tennessee. I mean, just such a beautiful brown trout. I mean, I had him up, you know, by myself, had him up to the net, was going to get, I was, I started, also, I was thinking about the photo already, which you should never do. I'm like, oh, I, it's so hard not to. (laughs) Can't be doing that. (laughs) Where'd you get that? Can't be doing that. I don't know. Where's it from? Well, Governor Andy Bashir of Kentucky has been saying that all the time and Oh, can't, so be can't be doing that. You can't, can't be going to bars. Can't be doing that. Can't be doing that. <laughs> can't be losing them fish, frankly. And I was like, have you been listening to Andy Bashir's press conferences? Like, Daily. Yeah. All right, so you have the fish. You, it, almost to the – you have a net? You know, you get – No net. Well, I, I have my net, and I get it out, okay. and I fuck up the netting, of course, and, like, he's – you know, and he breaks off. I throw a fit. I mean, about the only time I ever scream and yell is when that – I mean – I threw a fish, <laughs> but it was like, I was so mad. I have to remember where that fish is. I'm, and I still get on that river all the time. Like I fished that run every time I go. I mean, that was like three years ago now. I know that fish is gone, but like, I'm just like, you know, someone else is there. But I mean, as Craig Felon says, if it's a good holding spot for one good fish, it's a good holding spot for another good fish. Like the environment is still there. And the big fish are going to always want to live in that ideal environment. I wish I could do that. Because, I mean, after seven hours, like, waiting six miles, you know, just working your ass off, you're exhausted. Whereas Craig is just waiting for that one good fish, and he, and he catches it. <laughs> you're just I, like... I, think, I think some of that comes from how we, for instance, how I started. I, I started fishing out of a drift boat or out of a raft. We're heading down the river. You're covering so much you sort of get this idea, you don't have patience. What is patience? You're going down the river. You're covering a lot of terrain. So waiting was never really, I don't know. Waiting is less popular here? Is that, what do you guys well, think the about big that? Hole, big hole is virtually impossible to wait, in my opinion. I mean, right. Oh, I mean, it's slicker than shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like a well-oiled <laughs> intestine, honestly. <laughs> Oh, Although man. I've seen Wade walk out there, Wade can fucking walk across that thing like it's the sidewalk. Like I mean, I <laughs> if you know, you know. I mean, it depends on the the section, but yeah, especially later on when the when the water gets a little warmer and that moss gets real slippery. I don't. Woof. But you can fish a run better waiting. I mean, you're just gonna get more shit. Like, I mean, how many times do you catch a fish on your first drift through a run? Rarely. Mm-hmm. It is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I think about the logistics of it, and I'm like, how do people even catch a fish out of a boat? But it happens all the time. If I had to give a little tidbit of advice, I like drifting. I like floating down the river. But if there's a great spot and you want to give someone an opportunity to really hit that spot, 
pull the boat over and let them get out and fish it. Because there's no better way than having, you know, their boots on the ground and having the, that's a great opportunity. So I think, I think switching it up, how I like to do things. A lot of people come to Montana for that. You know, they're inexperienced fly fishermen. They want that Western fly fishing experience. Like the big hole is just iconic for that. You know, you know, they don't catch a lot of fish. It's so beautiful. And there's some rapids. It's kind of entertaining. Like, you stop for a nice lunch. And, you know, it's fun. Like, so, I mean, I think from a guy's perspective, it's a good thing, you know. Like, okay. You know, one thing that happened to my sister the first time she came to Lodge, the first day she was there, they took her to the Beaverhead Ranch. And I was just like, guys. What's the Beaverhead Ranch like? The Beaverhead runs through it, which is excellent. And there's also this pond on there that has enormous trout in it. That I'm unclear how they got there, but they're there. They're like <laughs> 45 years old or something. <laughs> Still water. I've been to Hebgen Lake, which is fun. But generally speaking, like, I don't want to fish a lake. And like, so basically my sister's sitting on this, on a drift boat on this lake in Dillon, Montana. It is not a picturesque place. People don't come to Montana for the towns and cities. As wonderful as some of them are, that's just not what tourism is typically in Montana. And if you're not, if you're the inexperienced fly fisher who's coming for the experience, like take them down the big hole. They, I mean, it is perfect. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, if you want to, I love the, the beaverhead. I mean, the brown trout in there are amazing. But you know, and I'm not too concerned about the scenery at the time. But well, see, I, mean, I would say that that was. They were going for more like, well, let's get her into it by catching her this massive fish or whatever, or she catches a bunch of fish rather than like, let's send her down a stunning river with stunning views and yeah for every everyone has their hook and it's it could be completely different for different people does that make sense to you what you just said yeah, what do you mean? Going to a trout pond, I mean, to me, I don't know, the big hole is so much more alluring. Like, I mean. What do you, what, what do you have the opportunity to catch on the Beaverhead Ranch versus the big hole? As an inexperienced. As an uh, inexperienced angler who has never done it before. I can see that point (laughs) completely. (laughs) You're absolutely right. But that's not for your sister is what you're saying. Right. I think the big hole is the hardest river I've ever fished. Exactly. So, like, you know, maybe they were thinking she just would have gotten angry or whatever. So they wanted to catch her. You know, they wanted her to catch the nice. Fish. She doesn't want to get. Her. She doesn't care about catching fish. There were a bunch of dudes thinking. You know, a bunch of dudes thinking. So they were like, fish, not scenery. Hey, side note, by the way, I like how my sister was it last year or two years ago. My sister came. I don't know if she I, was here last year or not. I don't remember. I like how every year I show up and the gods, all, ever since she came the first time, they're all like, is your sister coming? Is your sister coming? And I'm just like, guys, are we doing this? <laughs> hey, Franklin, is your sister coming? Is your sister coming? <laughs> hey. She's on her way? She was honestly, she, I took her and your dad out on your dad's favorite stretch, which is that upper, upper, upper. And she had some opportunities for some fish, but yeah, she, like, like you said, she just wanted to float. And she just wanted to have a good time. How's it going? Pretty good. What's she drinking there, buddy? Sonoma County Cabernet Sauvignon. Respect the style, respect the grower. Respect the vines. Is that Scott Peterson 
who killed his wife? Is that who you're speaking of? Question. When I looked at this bottle, I was like, Scott Peterson, how do I know this name? Is that the correct name? Who's Scott uh, Peterson? Franklin. Do you think he was innocent? Hot takes. Let's get some hot takes on this show. I don't know. I do remember a guy named Scott Peterson who killed his wife, I think. But I. So I grew up in the Bay Area, um, and he was from the Bay Area, him and his wife and um, their unborn child. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It, this, this is actually a fishing and a murder podcast. Um, but no, I grew up in the Bay Area, and that was a big case. But I mean, he was tried by the, by the press long before he even got to a jury. Steph, I like that. Look at that. I can tell your sister's a lawyer, you know, tried by the press. Is he in prison now? Yes, yeah. he is. Here's the deal. Men are always going to have girlfriends that show up after their wife goes missing. It's just the way it is. Well, duh. It doesn't necessarily mean that they killed their wife. They need hard evidence first. I'm sorry. Cheating does not mean that you killed your wife. Most of the time it does, but sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. Is this the one where she was in like the shed or something and it was like under a bunch of cat litter? No, she, her body was found in the bay as long, uh, with her body, with the body of their unborn child. Did he probably do it? Maybe. Was there enough evidence to convict? I don't think so. I don't understand. They had a trial. The jury heard the evidence. They found him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. He's in prison now. How, how does it work, Franklin? <laughs> Franklin, <laughs> Franklin Paisley, attorney at law. How long, how does the criminal justice system work? I'm curious about your stance on like uh, prison, prison reforms as well. I wanted to ask you about certain things, but I was afraid. I mean, how much do you want to know? I mean, the war on drugs, it is true. The war on drugs has created this siege mentality in black communities. And like, you know, that's all that the real crime is. It's all drug fueled, you know, gang related stuff. And, you know. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably cruel and ridiculous what we do to people. You know, some guy writes a cold check who has a record. Now he does three years in prison. You know, the average guy lives to be 75. You take three years of his life away for writing a cold check. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, you got all these guys who go to jail for, you know, selling pills or whatever. But the white-collar guys who are making the pills, they don't go to, you know, all the pharma, you know, all the, you know, Purdue Pharma guys. They pay fines. I mean, sure, they're, you know, millions of dollars. But, you know, there's this story about how there's this tiny county kind of Kentucky who they sent, I think, a million Percocet 30s over the course of, like, a year to a town with, like, 900 people in it. Am I to believe the executives didn't realize this was going on? I mean, it's just, it feels very cruel to people. It just, it destroys their lives and blah, blah, blah. But, Franklin, are you saying this goes all the way to the top? I am saying this goes all, it's weird how the rich guys with white colors on don't go to jail. Do you know how many guys that are, do you know guys that are in jail right now have white, were white collar guys? Like zero. Well, I believe there's not white collar crime in America. Like, are you kidding me? It, do you it, do it, mostly, are you dealing, do you go to trial much or is it a lot of plea bargains? I mean, no, I know it's mostly pleas. It's all plea bargains. I mean, mostly plea bargains, some cases go to trial, but by and large, you know, if you're looking at, you know, you get charged with some shit, you're looking at 10 years, they offer you one. Especially if you're a black man in this society, I sure wouldn't. Do you guys know what jury nullification is? No. Explain. No. 
Well, if you have a jury trial, let's say that some guy gets put on trial for possession of marijuana and you're on the jury and you believe in your heart that marijuana shouldn't be illegal. So they put on their case. He had the weed. But you go back and you go, you know what? Let's find him not guilty. And you find him not guilty, even though it's obvious he had the weed in his pocket. He is not guilty by law. The only law in America, criminal law, is what the jury says it is. I mean, you can put on evidence that I had a bag of crack in my pocket and the jury finds me not guilty. I'm not guilty. So, I mean, the jury really can do whatever the hell they want, which is called jury nullification. Now, as a lawyer, you're not allowed to tell the jury. You can't say, you know, hey, guys, if you think this is an unjust prosecution or you think this should be legal, just find them not guilty. So you can't tell people this. I wish more people knew because, I mean, really, if a bunch of black people got on juries and just found their people not guilty. You know what? You know who can tell people? Wikipedia. Um, Maybe we should make some sort of sticker campaign or something. Not you, of course, because you're an outstanding citizen of the law, but us uh, heathens, the underbelly of society, could certainly. I'll pop some Instagram stories up. Yeah, let's. (laughs) Hashtag hashtag jury nullification. Maybe if certain uh, like minded citizens who may or may not be on this podcast could send us some reading material, we'd be happy to share it. By the way, ladies, I have a bone to pick with both of you. Uh oh. 